Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. With our topics worthy of discussion panel for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636. The Monday edition sees our friend Mike Van Solen, principal at Navigator in the house. How's Mike? I'm doing great, John. Great to be here. Good to have you here. Adrian Batra, editor-in-chief of the Toronto Sun. How's Adrian? Great day for talk radio, John. Thank you for that. And Kim Wright, principal with Wright Strategies. Kim, good afternoon. Good afternoon, and welcome to all of the Rural Ontario Municipal Association folks who are in town for their conference. This is a great day for uh, municipal relations with the province. Really? Yeah, no surprises, apparently. Well, for me, it was. Uh, I wasn't aware that they were actually convening in town. But uh, now that <laughs> I we... just came from there. Did you? Yeah. It's a great conference, John. I see. Uh, so you guys, what, got into the malt liquor by noon, and uh, here you are on the show by 520. Sounds about right. Okay. <laughs> okay, so that's I'm not giving alone. away all of our radio magic that, that's tricks. That's how it's a great day for talk radio. <laughs> there you go. All right. I thought I was alone in that regard, but no, uh, I've got uh, allies. By the way, got to ask you very quickly, uh, you know, as a phenomenon... This thing that happened, Newfoundland on the weekend was uh, buffeted by how many feet of snow, or if you want to go centimeters, 93 centimeters top, set a record. Never seen anything like that. As much as the rock has faced, you know, inclement weather uh, maxed out, this was one of those, who knows, uh, anomalies maybe. And just talking to a gentleman there, Andrew McCarthy, uh, you know, how the community came together. And I was citing how, you know, you even saw that in the musical Come From Away. There's just something unique about community spirit in Newfoundland. Let me just throw that around the horn because I'm curious to get your take on it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is it different? Is it unique? And uh, what spawns all of that, Adrian? Well, I'm from out west, and I think it's similar sort of feeling. And maybe it's, you know, you feel isolated from sort of the central part of the country and you know, you're parceled out in your respective territory, you know, your east or your west. So I think that what Newfoundlanders often, um, you know, experience is that wherever they go in Canada, you know, it's always sort of the reaction. Oh, you're for, you're a Newf. Mm. You know, it's sort of it's it, it's quintessential of of anybody that meets them. And I don't think that their spirit of wanting to help out their neighbor or or sort of being in all of this together is dissimilar to really any part of the country. But what makes them special is that there's so few of them. It's a very tiny place. And this was pretty extremely overwhelming what they did contend with over the last sort of 72 hours. Um, I think it's just very Canadian. I think Canadians are just, we're just decent people. And if there's anything that we all like to talk about, it's the weather. And and that's if anything unites us and bonds us and as one. But uh, this this was particularly extraordinary. And I will only say another thing. I know that the military is going to help them out. Right. They will never suffer what Toronto suffered when Toronto was going to come <laughs> have the military, you know, shovel their snow their their driveways for them. Well, and that uh, was an occasion where in '98 uh, Mel Lastman realized that first responders couldn't necessarily get through. So in order to uh, facilitate that, they called in the army. But still, uh, all right. The Newfoundland experience, though, through all of this, again, I cited come from away, mm-hmm. you know, that day of distress on 9-11, the morning of, 
thousands of people looked after turned into a very big Broadway hit and musical and so on. But it really, and it made you proud watching that as a Canadian. But is it unique to Newfoundland, this communal spirit? Um, there is something unique about the way they do it in Newfoundland. And I think uh, anybody who's ever traveled there knows the experience of, you know, the front door is always open. You come on in, have a seat, uh, have a drink, have some food. Um, so it does, that generosity and hospitality seems to be particularly deep woven into the DNA of, of folks out there. And yeah, that, uh, that play come from away, from away I went and saw it and it does make you proud and, and, and sort of recognize sort of the, uh, the makeup of those folks. And, and I think it does come a little bit from that isolation and, and hard times and of having lots of you know, very often having to help a neighbor for for uh, for a- any number of reasons. So it is it is special, uh, and uh, I like uh, all Canadians. I guess this weekend watched on Facebook and in the news uh, these pictures, which were quite remarkable. And uh, so um, it seems like they're they're breaking through a little bit now. Um, but uh, yeah, there is something I think extra hospitable. This is probably the the population who who created the pay it forward movement. You know, years mm. ago, without ever giving it such a name. Well, you know, somebody cited the Maritime Code, like not leaving anybody in distress and uh, always accounted for. And it's an island, so there's sort of that mentality, you know, you got to look after each other, have each other's backs. Kim, do you think that informs their uh, spirit then? Oh, certainly. And one of my best friends actually is in Mount Pearl, Newfoundland, which has got the highest amount of uh, of snow. And and talking to her over the course of the weekend, uh, try, where she was trying to open up to open up the doors to friends and 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 neighbors, especially she was lucky in this in this storm. She didn't lose power. Other times she's not been so lucky. So try to find ways to, to collaborate. I think I uh, talk about a quintessentially Canadian moment. We saw the uh, the photographs of uh, folks sitting around a campfire uh, in somebody's backyard. Uh, they made a campfire. Everyone had a bunch of a bunch of drinks and just haven't found, finding a way to make it through and make it uh, a good time. I don't know if it's a quintessential Maritimes or Atlantic Canada more specifically thing. Um, because I come from rural southern Ontario, and we do the same thing. I think this was just such an anom- uh, an anomaly type of situation, and everyone had their social media cameras, so because what else are you going to do? So we saw a lot of what people were up to uh, in ways that I don't necessarily think we always see. But hopefully they can dig out soon. Uh, hopefully there isn't a massive infrastructure damage. Uh, and hopefully they can get back to some semblance of normalcy. And hopefully that, uh, you know, the, the family whose uh, son had walked out uh, during the storm, uh, they can they can find some peace as well. Right. Well, uh, you know, they seem to meet adversity with good cheer. And that seems to me it's... Uh in spades on the rock, uh, more so than any other part of Canada. But leave that for now. Uh, Let's talk about another uh, issue that is a Canadian conundrum, if you will. Today started the first phase of the extradition hearings into Meng Wanzhou out there in Vancouver. And uh, we were talking to the former chief of staff, Dijon Kretje, Eddie Goldenberg, uh, a little earlier in the program, who had mentioned that, you know, there's a way to break this impasse. Uh, I want you to listen to the gist of what he had to say, and then we'll come back for comment. We have two Canadians who are unjustly imprisoned in pretty poor, apparently in very poor conditions in in a Chinese jail. And it's very clear, uh, whether we like it or not, and I don't, and none of us like it, but it's very clear that unless Madame Meng goes back to China, there is no way the Chinese are going to send the two Canadians home. 
So there is a provision in the extradition, and I, I also believe, and I think most of us do, that the extradition request by the Americans has a lot to do with their geopolitical struggle, uh, war against uh, Huawei and against China, and perhaps a little bit less to do with the, with the criminal law. So he was talking basically... Send her back, get our two guys, uh, the extradition thing, no big deal. We can still be compliant and consistent with Canadian law because it'll allow for that. He cited where the Americans breach that, too, when they make you know, exchanges for their own personnel with the Iranian government, for example. Uh, the Israelis doing the same prisoner exchanges with the Palestinians or whomever might be holding them. So that's effectively what he was calling it, a prisoner exchange. Let's do it. Let's expedite it. Get our two guys back, and we'll deal with the fallout thereafter. First priority get them home. Adrian Batra, how do you feel about that? It's not uncommon for these sorts of things to happen. It may, I mean, Canadians shouldn't be surprised if they were to know that that whole notion of that we don't negotiate with terrorists, for example. We do, actually. There are, you know, payments that are made. We, we do pay for hostages. These things happen, but they're done um, under a cloak of silence and darkness, and there are diplomatic aspects to it. But specifically with respect to giving um, Miss uh, the the, the uh, Huawei exec back and getting our two Canadians, who are I believe have ostensibly been kidnapped by mm-hmm, China, mm-hmm. I don't feel confident that that would actually happen. China perpetually does not play against any rule. They don't seem to m- care much for whatever is the international rule of law, even though they do want to be looked at as fearful. Um, they want to be feared. They want to be respected. Um, so maybe just by virtue of uh, if there was a trade, they would eventually give our two Michaels back. I just don't feel confident that they would. Now, with respect so to... So stand firm. That's the policy we ought to do. In well, fact, Christian Freeland was asked in Winnipeg where the Liberals are holding a conclave there. Uh, she says we're not backing down right now. Yeah, I, and, I, and I don't think that the federal government's position is going to change anytime soon. Well, should it, Mike? No. Um, I think rule of law is important, and if we responded to this... Um, you know, hostage taking by, uh, you know, which was, which was uh, clearly improper by then releasing someone who was properly detained. Uh, you may not like the policy. We may not like the situation it has put ourselves in. Uh, but I think we would then be responding for the wrong reasons uh, and breaking the principles that we hold dear as a country um, to, uh, you know, and boy, I'd love to see those Michaels come back as much as anyone. But I think it would be the wrong signal to, to the world, uh, to China, as to how you can work and negotiate and and, and push around Canada. I also think there is some... uh, I don't think the Americans would have such a nonchalant view of this either. And so uh, Christian Freeland and the government have a big job of uh, also working with the U.S. on this because I think the solution will ultimately have to include all three countries. Um, but um, but I don't think freelancing and, and making a trade like that is in our best interest. You know, Goldenberg did say that uh, more than likely the Americans, there'd be no fallout from it. You know, Trump is just playing this game in a trade battle with China, the first part of which I guess got uh, signed off on last week. Other than that, we don't really show up in their radar, so why are we tying ourselves in knots here and caring too much about it? He was kind of, I won't say cavalier about it, but he said, let's not overthink it. Let's just get our two guys back. Uh, Do you support that? Uh, Here, Kim, or are you more in concert with Adrian and Mike who say, don't back down on this? Well, part of it is that the Americans, you know, overtly or covertly asked us to help them out with this and we kind of have to do some with that with for for a number of reasons not including the fact that they're our largest trading partner 
But all of this types of saber rattling has is now in, impacting the lives of the, the two Michaels and other uh, Canadians who may be over in China who may become the next uh, collateral damage of this. However, the uh, the Canadian government has to stop uh, tiptoeing around this Huawei issue. Either they need to, uh, you know, hand her back over, or uh, start to get serious around uh, sanctions and repercussions. And that includes not allowing Huawei to bid on the 5G network, the infrastructure for broadband. Uh, there are certainly enough other global players and certainly enough Canadian players uh, who can step up uh, to manage that program. Uh, so I, we don't need uh, Huawei on this. They've also right, been so cow signal, signal that. Signal getting them off of Hockey Night in Canada sponsorship. So some so big things. take a harder stance. I think we, ta- we need to start uh, so no pushing... No, no capitulation, but also to more importantly, uh, take some pretty big, bold steps against Huawei as opposed to just letting them have free access to the marketplace here uh, in Canada. And I think there needs to be some sanctions for that or no one's going to start taking it seriously because they certainly haven't been taking our diplomatic I would agree with that. All right. I would agree with that. So that leaves our two Michaels twisting in the wind. It does. Regardless, though. I think if we if we capitulate, they're still in a in a bad situation. I think if we get tough, I I think that it doesn't matter at this point. Sadly as that sounds, and I'm not trying to be defeatist about it, but I don't think it matters what we do or what we don't do. But we can't keep letting it be okay that Huawei and China are running roughshod. That's exactly. that's really that what it boils is, down that's to. That's true. Well, if they're hurting our farmers as well, as you know. Absolutely. With well, sure, the, out west with their with their sure. canola, with canola yeah. and and all sorts of other component pieces of uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership and a number of other trade agreements. Ultimately, uh, this is a financial battle as much as it is a political battle. So Canada needs to start getting the getting their heads wrapped around that component piece of it. They need to do behind the scenes signals on the diplomatic channels, but certainly they need to start making some bold statements uh, that Huawei is not we, welcome well, here. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I mean, we just, you know, it's one thing to say this, but the, the reality is that as a country over 20, 30 years, we have increasingly uh, sort of built a, a trading alliance with China. Uh, it's a path that we have, we have gone down I don't know if our eyes have been wide open, uh, but the the integration of, of China and Canada is is uh, is well along the way, and unwinding it isn't easy. So we do need uh, we do need bold leadership. We need to stand for the principles that we care about. But we are a trading nation, and we have said that that's the relationship we're going to have with China. Um, we could for sure. I think we should think about five G and whether Huawei needs to be in that space. But we are not going to uh, anytime soon uh, have anything more the, anything but more trade with China. I suspect not less. Well, the thing. Uh the equation changed in 2012 uh, with the ascendancy of Xi Jinping. He's been considered to be more of a hard ass and a dictator of sorts. And uh, so, you know, while we might have been, you know, as uh, in good faith, cobbling together business arrangements with the Chinese, that was a game changer then, as I say, in 2012. The other thing I'm curious about is now Trump talking to the farmers yesterday. I think he was in Austin, Texas, saying, you know, hey, buy bigger tractors or more of them because uh, the trade now that we're opening up for agricultural products, I feel like we got snookered in that. Maybe, you know, they're going to supplant a lot of the agricultural products that we were sending to China. Now the Americans will fill that void and we'll be left out in the cold. Now, again, because of a principled stand, still worth the... uh, the trouble, or I guess, you know, the sacrifice that we've made. I mean, you're from Western Canada. You know what the farmers are enduring. Yeah, I know for sure. Certainly, for sure, I know what they're enduring. But 
the United States is not going to be able to fill certain aspects of that um, agricultural market. Certainly, the province of Saskatchewan, for example, is the largest producer and distributor of uh, chickpeas and lentils in the world. And there are certain aspects of the there are certain parts of the United States that aren't going to be able to um, fulfill that need, and so there might be sort of micro agreements that are ultimately made and decided, but. This is a, a fundamental political challenge that the Canadian government faces. Um, you know, President Trump is going to continue to say what President Trump needs to. And they may very well be able to um, capitalize on where we are uh, being locked out, as it were. Right. Uh, but Canada needs to remember that on the international stage, and as, as uncomfortable as this reality may be, we are still a bit player. And we still very much need our American friends to be part of whatever negotiation we make or we do or anything like that. All right. That's so a reality. They're, they're the least expendable of the two. Uh, when we talk about standoffs, you know, we've got one right here in our own backyard between the province and the teachers unions. I want to come back and discuss that as a topic worthy of discussion. Can the Ford government outlast the teachers unions? Can they afford not to? Uh, are they on the horns of some kind of a dilemma? Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.